Women have always been a vital link in the lifeline that supplies combat units. The last few years have brought real progress in the interests of women in all aspects of naval service. What's more, the Navy has instituted special sensitivity courses for all its male recruits, demonstrating even more progress in the area. Whoa, 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 Mr. Hayes. If a cannibal used a knife and fork, would you call that progress, too? <laughs> Welcome to another exciting edition of the R&R Podcast. Uh, I'm this evening's host, Ryan Shojanaga. With me is uh, Jasmine Shojanaga to hash out the issues as they are. Um, we were just listening to a clip from the movie G.I. Jane, starring Demi Moore. Um, the actress who was speaking last is uh, Anne Bancroft, playing the duplicitous politician who recruits Demi to start this Navy SEAL program. The actor is uh, Daniel Von Bargen, better known to Jazz and myself as Mr. Kruger from Kruger Industrial Smoothing of Seinfeld, and of particularly the Festivus episode, if any of you recall that. Uh, and finally in the movie is Viggo Mortensen, who plays Master Chief John James Ergyle, who uh, throughout the movie wears these rather obscene nut-hugging shorts that uh, <laughs> they harken back to the days of Top Gun. But anyway, the movie... Which we've also joked is much more offensive than women in combat. Yes, it's... Uh, it's not good. Vigo, go back to having your hair long and greasy and like you did in uh, um, Lord of the Rings. But anyway, the movie, uh, we've, the movie clip we provided um, as a precursor to this evening's topic, which is women in combat, obviously. Okay, so Ryan, why don't you start us off with some information about what combat is? Right, well, combat in the military, I think, as it's looked at today, given today's um, technology and weaponry, um, sort of four main areas. One being infantry, which is you know the face-to-face -face combat, um, the down in the trenches, if you will. Uh, another is armor. Um, is that the same as artillery? No, not so far as I know. Armor to me um, constitutes things like tanks. So okay, uh, armored vehicles. So that's not artillery. Artillery is when you when you stick a big shell in a big mortar. And, and try and bomb your enemy from afar. That, to me, right. is artillery. Okay. And then finally is the special operations units, such as the Navy SEALs, the Green Berets, the Army Rangers, etc. Um, the Navy SEALs, um, who Demi Moore was trying to break into in said movie. Yeah. I think we call them special forces in Australia. Special forces, what I... Special operations? It's the same. Spec I think it's the same. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, the countries that allow currently women to participate and enroll in combat roles, um, I'll just run down a list, it's not, exclusive, uh, it's not uh, comprehensive, um, are, well, Australia... Uh, yeah, fairly recently. Recently, in January of 2013, lifted the veil of uh, participation. Uh, the first year they had 20 women... Um, enroll uh, last year that which last year 2014 they had 60 women roll so yeah a, a, a so that's massive like it tripled in 12 months yeah yeah uh, the USA in January of 2013 um, uh, the Defense Department lifted the ban on the exclusion but is finding it difficult to implement um, they've sort of set a target date of 2016 to uh, to meet that they're finding it difficult I think for obvious reasons they just haven't wanted to what to are get the obvious to. reasons well they I think that they've wanted to maintain the status quo. They don't want to, you know, they don't want to 
the military. So this 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 edict was handed down from on high by yeah. By the so Pentagon. it's been a policy change at right. the at a, at a I don't know if it's legislative the administrative level. Yeah. And the the military themselves are just like <laughs> screw. So this. the policy has been lifted. So we've done what we have to do, but we don't have to take it any Correct. further than that. Correct. And so again, the movie is uh, a good backdrop to that. That was. That was in 1997, by the way. That movie was uh, produced in 1997. Yeah, so ages ago. Ages Indeed. ago. <laughs> so in Canada, uh, women are allowed in combat with the exception of... In, uh, they were, have been allowed in combat since 1989 um, with the exception of submarines. In 2000, they were allowed to um, go on submarines. Uh, there are approximately 2% of women in... 2% women in combat positions. Uh, yeah. Denmark's been allowing women in combat since 1988. Um, France, uh, in France, women comprise about 1.7 of uh, uh, the allowed com combat positions. New Zealand, 2001. Norway, 1985. Um, the UK. Germany, 2001 as well. Germany, 2001. Um, the UK uh, likely to lift the ban in 2016, but they apparently seem to be the furthest behind, you know. Mm -hmm. Of all of them you know also though um, in Germany they their forces also tripled but over the course of a longer period of time so from since 2001 their enlistments have tripled of women enlisting in combat roles and so they've got like 800 800 women in combat roles yeah hmm. yeah well so that's just like in a, a bit of a, a bit of a list not comprehensive by any means. Um, Israel, Israel's been um, yeah. had uh, women participate in combat roles since two thousand one. Is that correct as well? Uh, Israel. I don't have well, eighty five. Oh, they started putting women into combat positions, but by two thousand and nine, they were in all like artillery, rescue forces, any any aircraft forces, yeah. like. Now this is uh, that's a list of um, uh, countries that have policies official policies regarding women in combat, but women by no means have not, or women by no means have been um, excluded from combat throughout history in the, uh, in, I think in, in guerrilla warfare, it tends it's to be more different. of a anything goes kind of thing because yeah. uh, usually I think when in guerrilla warfare, um, the, the, those engaging in that, who would choose to engage in that are uh, it's more of a war of the people, and it's more of a war. We're getting invaded. We need to. We sucks. need to take to the streets to. I, I don't think that that's. I mean. Okay, just to lay it out there, I'm pro women in combat. Really? That's a shock. <laughs> but I'm what I think that it's BS that it's acceptable in guerrilla warfare, but it's not in institutionalized military. I think that that's like a such a shocking double standard. Well, well, when I say guerrilla warfare, I mean typically the, the um, I don't know what I don't know how to describe it. Those who are being invaded, Vietnam. Yeah, um, but like Iraq. If they're part, they should have been trained. It's not. I mean, I know that they get trained as part of, you know, the guerrilla army, but. I think that there's aren't anyone that they can, and their children included. Well, yeah, I know, but like that's what I think is not fair about it. I think that it's it's looked down upon, and it's not. Not that it's looked down upon. It's not something that is accepted until until it's necessary. It's necessary. Until it's absolutely necessary. Yeah, which I well, don't think is 
that's what I think is not right about it. I mean, I think if push came to shove in any of those countries that we mentioned who are maybe currently uh, starting the process or have yet to start the process, I think if push came to shove, they'd change their tune pretty quickly. Yeah. Don't you think? I mean, like if they really had to, if we were, if Australia were being invaded or if the U.S. were being invaded um, and we need to do whatever we could to, to, to win, it, um, I think we might. I think I don't think we would have that policy. I think because yeah, but that's what that's what I am angry about. That it's only accepted when it's when it's an like yeah, when it becomes that you know immediate need. Like that's the only time that you can possibly lower yourself to put women in positions of this magnitude because they wouldn't be able to handle it. Well, note the sarcasm <laughs> in my tone. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, okay. Point noted. Jazz yes. wants women in the military all the time. Anyway, so yeah, again, those are just. I want women to have the choice to be in any role in the military should they meet the standards of that role. Indeed. Um, so again, those are countries that uh, who allow women in combat or are in the process of uh, incorporating that into their policy. <laughs> There's a line in there. It ain't gonna happen again. Yeah, well. Let me know with you, with these guys, with me. She's not the problem. We are. I think we're gonna get to, into the meat of this issue right now. Okay. When we present the arguments for not allowing um, women in combat, this is stuff that <laughs> this, get these into are, it. These are these are reasons I've sort of uh, condensed and into uh, um, my own words, basically. I will try and attribute uh, to to sayers if I can, but um, one of them I found, and I think that I found this on a few different in places, is the uh, lower standards. So the military is at risk of um, a diminished capability in, uh, in allowing women to fight um, because of whatever reason. Um, lack of physical strength, lack of tactical um, ability, uh, whatever. A less capable force that so they need to meet um, particular physical standards to uh, be able to participate in combat. Um, Robert McGinnis, a retired colonel, um, he wrote a book a few years ago about about this subject, um, and said that. Oh yes, I don't like that guy. <laughs> anyway, he said that um, there has to be a minimum number of women uh, in combat units for it to be a success on a policy level. So he, his argument was that based on that, um, you automatically have to lower the standards because women. Why? Why does it have to have? Why does there have to be a minimum number for it to be successful on a policy level? I don't know. I, I disagree as well, but I don't. I didn't read the book. Obviously, I'm just sort of reading a paraphrase of that book. I didn't read his book either, but I know that at a policy level in the United States, women are allowed to fight in combat roles in the uh, military. More or less, not officially, but more or less, yes. Yes, yeah, on a policy level, it's a practical level where it gets tricky. 
but on a policy level, all it is is a piece of paper mm. that's got a policy written on it. But what do you mean by a practical level? Why, why An implementation it? level. So just just how do you logistically go about implementing yeah. women? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think that... Um, I don't really understand what he's getting at yeah. there. Anyway, uh, anyway, so on because of this policy reason um, and because of... Uh, it can only be achieved by gender norming... Um, uh, standards for combat service. That that's why we would we would diminish the performance of of our military. In that yeah. Sense. See, I think that like everybody understands that that's not a good idea to everybody? lower standards. Oh right, yeah. Yeah, it's not a good idea to lower standards, and I think that like that's not what women are asking for. They are asking for the opportunity to achieve that like you know acting in that position based on ability like any other man that would be able to apply for that role based on ability and some guys get in and some guys don't and I think that it's just fair that women should be allowed to apply for that and if their abilities don't meet the standards they don't get the job well I think maybe I think maybe what he's getting at is this that um one of the things that's been talked about with regard to allowing women in is, is I think there's this blanket level of performance standard that one needs to achieve, which doesn't necessarily address the, the functions of that combat role. So what they've been talking about is making those, those standards uh, role-specific. Yeah. And, and in that, that's sort of, I think the fear is... And I don't, know if this, I don't know if I necessarily agree with this, because I think that sometimes when politicians do get involved in this kind of stuff, it becomes a political issue. It's not then a practical issue of, yeah. you know, how do we best train these? How do we best identify people for these roles? So so when you do role-specific capabilities, then you become, there becomes the potential for, for this gender norming, for making, you know, lowering the standards. Yeah. But, you know, and then sort of like a couple of years ago, um, there was a colonel who was the commander of the Norwegian forces in Afghanistan. And he said about the standards, you know, you have to meet the physical standards because the job stays the same. It doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman, the job's still the same. And it works really well to have women, this was his opinion, to have women. And he's been a colonel for 25 years in the military in Norway. Um, what as, long as, women, as long as women hold the standards, then it works well to have women in there. And, and he says that, you know, women who go into the fields know the standards and it's not hard for them to train up to the standards. Right. So I don't see the problem. And I know that there's this concern that um, the military, like, you know, we're trying to be, and I've seen some comments about, um, you know, on, on newspaper articles and things like that about this from people who say that, you know, we're just taking political correctness too far and that, you know, this feminist um, point of view is being, you know, just taken to, to the extremes where it's just not meant to be, where women aren't meant to be. And I think that really makes me feel sick that people think like this, that we're doing, like, or that women want this opportunity because it's politically correct. What a heap of BS. Like, oh, <laughs> I, w- I wouldn't go and enlist in the military because it's not my bag. I wouldn't... I'm not into it. 
But I'd like the opportunity to choose if that was what I chose to be. It's not about political correctness. It's about what's being fair. Um, well, mate, as an Australian, you do have that choice. I do, yes. Yeah. But I'd like everybody else to agree <laughs> that I should have that choice. You'd like everyone to agree with you. Is yes, that they should all think the way that I do. No, indeed. So anyway, another reason that uh, Robert McGuinness gives, or another couple of reasons, is uh, um, the recruitment and retention um, that would be low, or you'd be less successful at that. More but when women would drop out? No, I think more men would drop out because, because, women of, are there. because of the women that are there. Um, there's again, also- again, let me just refute that. And I'm going to quote this throughout the entire conversation because I loved this uh, comment that Master Chief made in G.I. Jane, right? She's not the problem. We are. <laughs> that came from a man. And yes, I think that... Oh, Viggo Mortensen. That's, oh. that's, that's not women's issues. That's men's issues. Anyway, I think it's an assumption that he makes that... Uh, uh, potentially untenable. I think that you could, you could potentially look to um, you know gays in the military. Yeah. Uh, and see the African Americans, African Americans, etc. Indigenous yeah. Australians. Another argument for women not being included is the physical and psychological harm would be um, it would be greater for women. So this uh, Robert McGinnis hey, has, has chosen to be this protector of women. Um, try to get your head around pushing a baby out of your <laughs> vagina. That's fairly traumatic. Indeed. I think we can handle it. So another reason uh, there are enough men currently. So to actually, mate, just um, a little side note. I, I don't want to seem insensitive there. Actually, having never experienced the, the horror, I'm sure that comes along with war, because I haven't. Um, but I think that it's um, a presumption that men would be able to deal with that better than women just as a general rule because I know there are a lot of men who have never dealt with the horrors of war either but just because they're men doesn't make them more suited to deal with that well and you could look at sort of the you could look at the the rate of PTSD in troops now that it's become um, acknowledged as as a phenomenon uh, post-war a significant phenomenon that uh, pretty much every you know England the US Australia all of these industrialized, war-loving um, yeah. nations um, that have gone to war—it's uh, a significant thing. Yeah, definitely. How how is that? How is that any demonstration of men's better suitability for yeah um, psychological resilience? I, it may be. Look, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe and it's an argument that we always go to when we think of the woman who gets on the chair when the, a mouse comes in the room. Um, but but maybe there's something real in it as well. Maybe that, that I don't know. But but clearly men don't really do deal with it either. That well. Yeah, I mean I think that psychologically, when it comes to trauma, every human being is at risk of being affected by that. Okay. Uh, another reason is the uh, we currently <laughs> again this. Wait, is, I'm going to attack you. Uh, Tell me the next reason. Apparently, there apparently we have enough men volunteers to meet the whatever quota, whatever. Um, Why does that does that matter? <laughs> Why is that even an argument? I don't know. I think that's again. I think that's uh, McInnes. Um, the the increase of sexual assault is a concern. Again, um, men's issues. 
But but this even actually, if it is a man's issue, even if it even if it is a man's issue, it's something that will have to be dealt with yeah, on a significant level. Definitely, in the, at least in the very beginning of definitely. It. But I think not allowing women to enroll in combat roles in the military is perpetuating that rather than assisting to decrease it. Yeah. And it's the exact like one of the guys um, that I've read an article about. Uh, Gary Sheridan, he wrote in the Australian an article in 2011, Gary, you're a dick, right? Gary, don't like you. Say what you want, I don't like it. Tell us how you really feel. He talks about um, uh, the notion of chivalry and the fact that domestic violence in Australia, as in all other societies, is overwhelmingly carried out by men against women. Two reasons why, he says. One, men are bigger. And two, they're more aggressive. What? Please, Gary, show me some evidence on your two reasons as to why men are the aggressors in a domestic violence situation and women are the victims. Because I'm pretty sure it's not because they're bigger or more aggressive. Like, chicks can be big. May, hold on, hold on. I'm, I actually will disagree with you. I will. I, I think that because men are so aggressive. No, no, no. I, I think, think it's because think of our that, testosterone. I think that domestic I, violence against women is very common in Australia because of a, their cultural, a cultural. Um, you know, there's that existence in our culture. But it's, fueled, fueled potentially by yeah, yeah, by physiology. Definitely, yes. It, yeah, I, okay. I agree. I think that. I mean, hey, Look, neurologically, your amygdala is bigger. You can't control your emotions. Blah blah blah. I know that, right? I get it. I sympathise with you for that, but I still think that you are able to control those emotions. I think that culturally, but, it's accepted in a lot of places in Australia, and that is the reason that it's so. High. Not just because men are bigger. I mean, I know that that plays a role, but he says that there are two reasons, and they are the reasons he states. Right. And I just, I know that from evidence that that is not true. So, moving on. Anyway, um, his article reminded one reader of a sad, aging man railing against his fading dominance. Just thought I'd throw that in there because I agree. <laughs> Okay, give me something else to refute. Oh, Gaza. So, uh, one other concern is the sexual dynamic that will that is introduced um, in any sort of you know situation where men and fem- men men and women are thrown into a uh, very tight, intimate, um, often intimate um, yeah uh, setting. This is actually something that came up when I talked to. Um, one of my friends who did serve in the army in Australia, John Longmore, and he talked about this a little bit. And we talked about it the other day as well, um, didn't we, when we were... I don't remember anything. <laughs> remember we were in the car? I do, but I... Did, like, okay, sure. Yeah, and we were talking about... Um, we were. I, I actually drew... I tried to draw a parallel with gays in the military you know, and the sexual tension thing as well, and... Oh, yeah, but I didn't agree with you that. You didn't agree with it. So let's go on that, because Why we probably should ex- explain it to the um, to our listeners. Yeah. So 
Uh, why didn't I use it? You didn't agree with it because you said that you might have one gay guy in, you know, a, I don't know, what do you call it? Battalion? Not a battalion. Troop, whatever. Whatever, like a group of people in the army. Um, and you might have one gay guy in there or two gay guys and sort of there's not really any competition for, like, this, you know, between this, the, the sexual tension there. But if you put one woman in a group, you know, there's going there's Especially if she's going Demi, to Demi be, Moore. Especially if she's Demi Moore. There's going to be, you know, inevitably there will be several males that will go for that. Correct. So I... Um, in soon doing some of the research, found something by the uh, just this little video on the Danish army and women in combat roles in the Danish army. One woman said that uh, there was a common reaction amongst the men um, of uh, that the woman is there simply to sleep with a soldier. Um, another woman had uh, um, what they had assumed that of her. Yes. So the men in the men in the troop thought, oh, she's here just to get it on. With them. <laughs> they, they aren't. You just sew up yourselves, okay. all of you. Anyway, so this, uh, another woman commented that um, uh, if a man and a woman do engage in a relationship, and she had seen this sort of firsthand, that uh, other men in the pl- platoon uh, may distance themselves from from that woman because she is now seen as part of. You know, again, this is a cultural thing, and I know that you're probably going to get frustrated with it, but. She is his property, property to a certain degree. Now, whether or not that's right, it remains to be seen. It's fine. But, it's, but that's may, what may, we're trying to change. This finish. is what is... Let me finish. Yeah. Okay. Whether it's a real or imagined issue, you know, when the relationship dissolves, the men and that woman are unable to really communicate on the level that they need to um, because of that distance in the relationship, because the men distanced themselves from her, she distanced themse- herself from them. So whether or not you agree with how those men viewed that situation, it's how they viewed it anyway. So in the so in combat, when yeah, the I communication, think, I, think, I think that point of view is malleable. I don't think that that is a concrete point of view that will always remain that way. But I'm, but I think that the argument is is that when that gets introduced, whether you, it could happen with with gay men as well. Yeah, but it's the exact same thing with the workforce. Like when women started to enter the workforce, more and more and more. But and it's more. okay. Like so it just became like at that's first fine. guys would have went, "What the hell is like? How can we work?" How is this going to function? The company's going to go into the ground. We're going to make our economy weaker. That's fine. But, and it didn't. It had the opposite effect. But think of it like a think of an individual situation. I'm where, thinking of an individual where, situation. Where you know the relationship goes to shit. I, but I it's think, uncomfortable but for everyone. What? That's fine. But you also have to have faith in your training as a combat officer or but in whatever this case, you are. But in this case, they didn't. Well, that's okay. Because, regard, because in, and, and in this case. It is very dependent on communication. It is dependent on communication, but maybe that needs to be added into the training or something like that because things are changing. You, you have to, you know, change the training as the world changes too. When you change things based on, you know, advanced technology, things change. You should be able to change the way that, you, that your soldiers are trained based on different circumstances. Get over it. Honestly, 
Like, grow the fuck up. What the housewives of Australia need to understand as they do the iron. I think that uh, the climate change science uh, is far from settled. I know the, the fact that we have had well-being described as Australia's This week, the Minister for Indigenous Affairs, Prime Minister Tony Abbott, commented in favour of the closure of 150 remote communities in Western Australia. Abbott supported the decision made by the Western Australian Government, stating that taxpayers cannot continue to support those who make lifestyle choices to live in remote communities. Read, tax dollars we could be using for something that aligns more with the needs of Tony cannot be used to provide basic healthcare to those who reside in communities that have existed for thousands of years. Interestingly, there appears to be no issue taken with providing basic healthcare to the mining industry who work in remote communities because that is most definitely not a lifestyle choice. I'm just wondering where he plans to camp now for that one week of the year he claims to spend with an Indigenous community. Tony Abbott's right-wing electoral base are ready to welcome him back with open arms after his straight shooting over a recent United Nations Human Rights Commission report earlier this week. The report found the coalition government was engaging in systematic, cruel and degrading treatment tantamount to torture of asylum seekers, some of whom have been in detention for more than five years. Professor Abbott then chose to educate the uppity European snobbery about the ways of Down Under with the scathing comment, Australians are sick of being lectured to by the United Nations. This puts him in with the esteemed company of other national leaders from countries such as North Korea, Zimbabwe, and Iran. Abbott did not take exception to the findings of the report, but instead chose to object to the fact that he and his government were being told what to do. This puts him in the esteemed company of two-year-olds. I mean, if Tony Abbott ends up the Prime Minister of Australia, I mean, you've got to say, God help us. Another reason uh, that women, the, one of the common reasons women um, shouldn't be allowed in combat, uh, I've seen, and actually this is one that was echoed in the movie last night, was that male soldiers would focus on wounded female soldiers at an increased risk to theirs and their other troop mates' safety. Um, this, I think, was part of a, um, a study done by the Israeli Defense Force that identified sort of this morbidity around um, you know female casualties uh, that wasn't present with men and other men who'd been shot or wounded in some way. Do you think that's just because they haven't been desensitized to that yet? Uh, yeah, I think so, to a certain degree. I think uh, I was listening to this other podcast. It was actually a sports podcast about um, this woman UFC fighter, Ultimate Fighting Championship fighter, and she's she's really good. She's clearly head and shoulders above anyone um, who else is in any other woman fighter who's in the UFC. And uh, one of the people on the podcast basically said, "This is the Dan Patrick show." Um, one of the guys in the podcast said that she's a brilliant fighter. She's fun to watch, but I can't watch her because I can't see a woman get hit in the face, even if it's by another woman. Actually, John kind of made a comment about that with 
combat in regards to combat training and said that he wouldn't be able to hit or let go and hit a woman the way he could with a man in combat in training, training. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that there's things that can be put in place again to allow for that. Yeah. Well, John said that. Mind you, I think that there's a lot of other guys who would have absolutely no problem going the other way. Yeah, true. And, I mean, I think the other thing is too, like, and this is another comment that John made. Um, Sorry, John, I think that your views were really objective and a lot of them I agree with. This I don't agree with. Um, He said it comes down to the effect it has on the male, which I think is quite a selfish way to look at it. because So we can't deal with it? Basically, yeah. If you can't deal with it, then it shouldn't happen, I guess. Which, yeah, is again Mm. that sort of, you know, she's not the problem, we are kind of issue. Mm. Um, Well, that gets into sort of the last one that I had, um, which was that foreign militants would be less likely or they wouldn't at all um, surrender to female soldiers um, due to lack of intimidation, just physical prowess and uh, respect for women. Oh, if they've got a big F off shotgun, I'm pretty sure they would get down and surrender. Maybe, maybe not. Or I don't get know. Their, well, they'd get their heads blown off. I don't know. This was one of the reasons I, I, I can't remember exactly where I saw it, but. It wouldn't, you know what? I don't know how you feel, mate, but to me, if someone was holding a gun at my head, if it was a three year old, if it was a woman, if it was an old man, if it was you, that would freak me out. I don't think that this was one of those evidence based. Uh, reasons I'm not sure yeah but uh, I'm inclined to believe that um, if you removed the gun from the situation if if that weren't a part of it and surrender was was key to um, to victory in either the battle or the war uh, maybe there's something in it you know what this actually might lead nicely into what we wanted to talk about next which is a few different sort of case examples of um female armies and things like that because there's an army in africa called the the black mambas who are unarmed they're an all-female army who don't carry Weapons. The volunteer force, right? They're a volunteer force. Well, they're sort of no. They're a, I think they're a government. They the government employ like mm. employs and trains them. Um, they finish high school and then they sort of train. They're combat trained. They're you know army trained women, and they defend rhinoceros. Rhinoceri. Rhinoceri. I think so. Mm, I think it's rhinoceros. Anyway, whatever. Um, they defend rhinoceros against poachers. So. So the argument is, is that, and, and they, not only that they're effective. It's, yeah, exactly, say, exactly. They're quite effective. Not only do they do that, but they are effective, and they they tear apart. Um, so they're unarmed camps. completely. They're unarmed. They have. Completely. They don't they, have machetes. They don't no, have. Oh, they. I don't. I don't think so. they. They said unarmed. So I'm assuming that means that, yeah, they they're just they're sort of on patrol. Um, but yeah, I mean they're in military uniforms. Actually, they get paid by donations. So it's an NGO, most likely. Yeah, 
Yeah, but they go through, like, intensive, like, tracking combat training. Mm. And, you know, basically kick the crap out of the poachers because they, they, they go into their camps and they pull them apart. So, you know, they're obviously getting them to surrender somehow because they haven't lost a rhinoceros in the area that they've been deployed um, since they were deployed. Oh, fair enough. So, yeah. Look, I think that it's one of those things that where if you're effective, you're effective, whether you're a woman or a man. I'll go into a bit of um, my own personal experience. Uh, playing soccer and playing so- playing organized soccer. Um, you could play, and I have played against players who are clearly much better than me and a lot of the players that I play with on any given team. Um, the thing that really is effective in an organized team sport is discipline, uh, communication, structure, how you you know work as a team. All of those things far outweigh any sort of individual talent. Skill. Yeah. Skill, right. Um, and I would imagine it's probably pretty similar in a, in a you know, yeah. combat situation. If you are organized, if you communicate well, if you work together well, yeah. you know, whether oh, you're a man or woman. That's true. that's true for the workforce. It's true for, yeah, it's true for lots of different things. Mm. Yeah, so another, uh, another, you know, another country where um, women have been conscripted into uh, combat situations in the Danish military, there was a video that I saw. Um, from Force TV uh, about um, about how it's been going. They've been allowed in combat situations since 1988. Um, women comprise about 4% of soldiers in combat. Um, they interviewed uh, Brian Christensen, Captain Brian Christensen of the 2nd Mechanized uh, Infantry. Sorry, can I just ask you something? Do you know what that what the percentage of women in the military overall is? No, I don't. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so you interviewed, there was an interview with that guy. Yeah, so Brian Christensen, his, it was his opinion that uh, women add an extra dimension. Um, I think that uh, a softer touch to, yeah. to war, if, if you can really think of it that way. Um, the military tends to strongly discourage uh, relations between men and women, so getting onto the, the nuts and bolts of how it actually works. But uh, they acknowledge, and this is actually kind of interesting because um, they kind of take it as a case-by-case basis thing. They, on a blanket level, say, eh, it's probably not a great idea. It's probably not, for obvious reasons, it's not a great idea for you to engage in relations. Which is but, kind of what they do in the workplace. Yeah. Or it's just like an unwritten kind of understanding that it's probably not a good idea. Right. And some, some companies do enforce, in, uh, they um, roll out policy against um, some, but none of the companies that I've worked at yeah. do. Um, anyway... Uh, but they they say that and they acknowledge they they they're not you know playing Pollyanna. They acknowledge that you know look it's going to happen. It's just sort of one of those things. Um, and if it does, uh, the best thing to do is just talk about it. Yeah. Just talk about it. But see, this is the communication side of things. So yeah, um, now one of the other things about uh, the Danish military is that women tend to have to work harder at staying at that level of standard. Um, again, we, uh, women are held to that standard. It's not been diminished by gender norming. So acknowledging that, look, you got to meet, you, to be able to fight in combat in situations where 
this is going to happen, this might happen, this might happen. You have to meet these standards, and, the, and they do. But apparently they have to work a bit harder. That's just one of the, the personal nature, experiences. Yeah. So. Physiological, anatomical um, reasons. Anyway, so another uh, situation, another case study, if you will, of uh, women in combat was... Um, you mentioned um, a woman named Zoe Bedell. She's bringing a lawsuit, or she she had brought a lawsuit, which was sort of the impetus of... Well, uh, she participated in bringing the lawsuit. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that brought about the policy change. In the U.S. In the U.S., sorry. Um, she was involved in a female engagement team in Afghanistan in the mid-2000s, um, which meant she and her, um, the other women in her troop, accompanied... Uh, infantry battalion um, into the field and she worked directly with in combat situations um, liaising with uh, other members of the community women children primarily where it was inappropriate for men to do so, to do so it was her so what were they liaising with the community for trying to find out what they wanted information to, yeah intel if you yeah. will um, to use the lingo of uh, probably television I'm sure they don't actually <laughs> use that in the military but um, anyway, it was her contention that, uh, and the reason that she participated in this lawsuit was that, and I think this is a really strong point, they were expected to basically do everything the same that these infantry uh, battalions, you know, the yeah. troop, the soldiers in these infantry battalions were expected to do. Yeah. If, if, if firefight broke out, it's not like they weren't carrying guns. No, they, they had did. to shoot back. They, what are they, they had yeah. to do the same things. Um, and that when you have two sets of standards, yeah. when you have two obviously different expectations, um, you you create a class system basically. Yeah. And when a class system is institutional, it not only is okay for um, people above you to treat you a certain way. It's all it's also appropriate for people below you to treat yeah. you the same way that your superiors might, um, which may basically puts you at the bottom of the rung. So yeah. basically you, you could be lieutenant, but really in, it doesn't, it's, it's not, not in practical, it's not the same. Yeah, practical application, it's not the same. The other point that she made about that, which I thought was really interesting too, was that when it is institutionalized in the army, the people that are in the army also apply it to everyday life. So if a woman is viewed as not as significant or not as... Um, successful or as competent in her job because that's what the army says then they also apply that outside the army when they go home or when they go out in society that's applied maybe subconsciously that was her contention that's her well that's her observation yeah yeah Yeah, it seems to be one of those subtle kind of mindset definitely uh, you can't say that's only when you're in the army like, and chicks are equal everywhere else. Maybe some people do. Maybe some people are able yeah, to compart- compartmentalize those areas. But I, I, I find think, it I very think hard right. to believe someone could compartmentalize that. The fact that it's um, that it's okay institutionally seems a bit uh, like like they're saying we don't really care what you think about it. You can think whatever you want, and probably you should think this way because that's the way we, we that's our policy yeah that's our policy and if it's their policy that tells people that's the way they think yeah because that's their policy mm. that's what a policy is so what the company thinks 
Um, um, but I thought it might just be good to mention also that we'll put the link up to um, Zoe Bedell's TED Talk, which mm. was really super interesting. She's a good, she's a great speaker, and she makes a lot of really um, valid points. I think, and um, I think it's important to watch something like that to understand why she is bringing that um, legal why she battle. Did, why she brought it? Why she's participating? In she brought it. She what? She brought it. So, Jazz. But anyway, we'll put the link up on our website to that TED Talk. Sure. Jazz, in conclusion, final thoughts? My final thought, hey, to quote Master Chief Vigo Mortensen from G.I. Jane, she's not the problem. We are. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening, everyone. Join us next week when we talk about the Myers-Briggs personality assessment and potentially some others. We'll have special guests, Bruce Murray mm. and Sam Shaw, yeah. uh, providing us some insight. They, That'll be nice. Yes, they both talk, um, use it in their professional lives. Um, it's most definitely going to be a stimulating conversation. Uh, so join us then, and we'll sign off with a uh, little clip from G.I. Jane. Thanks, everyone. Tell me you didn't sink my whole career to make you look good. Those charges will be dismissed. Your career will go forward. Albeit back here in Washington. Oh, come on, don't tell me you wanted that kind of life. Squat pissing in some third world jungle with some guys looking up your behind. I wanted the choice. That's how it's supposed to be. Truth is.